1: An unmatched dual threat.
0: This is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am once again joined by Brendan. I'm back. Thank goodness, Brendan. And we thank Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com for filling in, but I, as I said when we recorded last time, I could feel the collective energy of the Brendan contingent <laughs> of our fan base just, just yearning for your presence again. I felt it too, Corey. I felt it too. Yeah, so happy to be uh, back to normal. With the original, squ- the OG squad, me and <laughs> Corey and Brendan. You know us, you love us, you might hate us, I don't know, maybe somewhere in between. But you're listening yeah. to us, and that's what's important. Whether, whether you're listening for joy or hate listening, it, it doesn't really matter to us. As long as you're here, we're one big, happy family. <laughs> and we are coming to you on Thursday, September 3rd. I cannot believe it is September in an ad, like just in a normal life sense, Crazy. but also in a baseball sense. Because obviously, normally when you hit September, it's the heat of the pennant race. You've had several months of, of seeing what the team can do, and, and it's all coming down to this, and it's still... I don't know how it feels to all you guys, but it feels to me like we just started this season. And so sort of to know that this is like the stretch run now is pretty weird to me. So that's where we are and we are coming to you after the Cubs did uh one of my and and the Cubs related podcast favorite things in the world which was win the first two games of the series and then lose the finale so that we get to dwell on the finale even though they won a series and uh that should be the focus and it will be the focus but there's a lot to talk about we have some injuries to talk about we have some returns to talk about Uh, we got to see some of the Cubs new acquisitions in action from the trade deadline. Evan and I talked about a couple of those. Uh, There were some more after we recorded Cameron Maben. We didn't get a chance to talk about uh, some new bullpen arms. So a lot going on, and we'll talk about these games with Pittsburgh. We'll talk about those injuries. We'll talk about... All of it, and as a good reminder, we are still talking about your first place Chicago Cubs. So, always good to keep things in perspective. But before we go any further, I will do a quick recap of these three games, keep it short, nice and tight. And just give you the news and notes to set the table for our conversation on Tuesday. It was an eight to seven win uh, that score somewhat deceptive, I suppose, as the Cubs led this game six to one. Some curious decision making, I would say, from from David Ross. Uh, at least going off of my social media feeds, this was not David's most well received managerial series uh, throughout the year. I, I, you know, we have certainly been uh, all praise for David Ross. And I think most of the jury has been uh, mostly praise uh, throughout this season. But this series, there was a lot of chatter about some of the decision making that Ross was making. Uh, So we'll, you know, touch on a little bit of those things. Uh, The starter in this one was your boy, John Lester. He goes five and a third, allows eight hits, five earned, three walks and three strikeouts. Now, this is a tricky one. And that's one of the decisions that we would discuss. Uh, He entered the sixth inning with a 6-1 to lead, and by all accounts, uh, a W on his hands, Uh, but they let him go back out there for the six, gets over 90 pitches, and at least to me, and I think everybody else watching the game, was clearly just left out there too long, just too long of a leash, Uh, and I don't really get it, Um, but we'll, you know, maybe dwell on that later, Uh, but I think just especially... Ross should know Lester better than anybody with where Lester is in his career. You got five good innings. He was lined up for an easy W. You were up by five. Really no reason to let him uh, push through that when it was clearly, you know, the wheels were sort of clearly falling off the bus. But That's what they did. The run scoring in this game, Ian Happ led off this game with his 10th homer of the season. Jason Kipnis would walk in the second, uh, bringing home a run. Jason Kipnis would single in the fourth to bring home another. A Baez double and a Schwarber, his 10th of the year, also home run in the fifth, made it 6-1. The Pirates would come storming back, tying the game in the bottom of the eighth off of Dan Winkler. That was Ross's second weird decision of the game one run game after a rain delay after an off day and dan winkler gets the ball to protect a one run lead Under no circumstances should that be the case, and it did not pay off, as many of you would have expected. The Cubs and Pirates trade extra inning runs with the runner on second in the 10th, and then it was an Ian Happ single that would win this game. Ian Happ also making a really nice defensive play in this game, uh, multiple in this series, so uh, a lot of good from the Pittsburgh native Ian Happ in this series. Uh, But that would be the story of this one, eight to seven, the final. Jeremy Jeffress picking up a really big save in this one. He goes one and two thirds, excuse me, a big win, uh, saving the game, I guess I meant. Uh, But he goes one and two thirds, striking out a couple guys and getting the Cubs through those extra innings. So that was the story on Tuesday. On Wednesday, it was a much easier 8-2 to two win behind the arm of Kyle Hendricks, who went six, giving up six hits. One earned two walks and six strikeouts. That's his fourth W of the year. The Cubs getting their runs in this one in an 8 2 final. They trailed one to nothing, but the big blow in this game and one that was a sight for sore eyes was Javi Baez hitting his sixth home run of the season of the three run variety. The Cubs would tack on from there with a Rizzo RBI single. A Wilson Contreras RBI double, and Anthony Rizzo reaching on a fielding error in the eighth. That made it 8-2. to two. That was the story in that one. On Thursday in the finale, the Pirates winning this one 6-2, to two, uh, another not-so-great start for Alec Mills. Looked okay at times, but... Uh, is victim to the multi-run home run ball. Once again, a, a trend that we have seen with Mills. He goes five, seven hits, four earned, one walk, and two strikeouts. The Cubs getting their runs on Thursday on a Victor Caratini RBI single and Chris Bryant reaching on a throwing error. Uh, those were the two runs in this one. The Cubs had plenty of chances to score in this one. Both teams getting 10 hits, but the Pirates getting four more runs. The Cubs left nine on base and went one for nine. With runners in scoring positions. so uh, you know, in, in a lot of these games, Brendan, that's that's really the story of these games. There's plenty to get into on an individual level, but that just sort of sets the table. Uh, this was a, a weird series because you mm-hmm. you they they definitely fooled around enough, despite having a six to one lead on Tuesday, to have potentially lost that game, uh, and then. On Thursday, just a a real clunker, a bad offensive effort. Once again, seeing, you know, stranding guys with the bases loaded, inability to bring in guys with runners on third and less than two outs. Uh, This team's insistence on not situationally hitting sometimes is easily one of the most frustrating things going on in my entire life uh, and has been for years. Um, you know, and, and I didn't even play baseball, Brendan. I assume it's, it's harder for people that did, but I I've been around enough, especially, uh, you know, when I was working for the team in college, like the amount of, of drills that I watched those teams do for situational hitting, the amount of charts I filled out to track the situational hitting, it's kind of hard to shake how frustrating that is when you're watching these games. Uh, so a lot of similar stories in this game, but In the series, I mean. But at the end of the day, they do win two out of three. You're allowed to lose a game to the Pirates. It's not exactly the worst thing in the world. They're still in first place, and they're headed home for a big series with the Cardinals here. So some good, some bad, and we move forward.
1: Well, I think the way you describe the series as weird is quite literally the only way to describe this. Like They they won the series, but at the same time, you see some of the trends, you see some of the mishaps, and it's hard to ignore that. Like, yeah, in one sense, you're 22 and 15. You're three and a half up on St. Louis. Like, th- things are good. You Darvish is dealing. Ian Happ is hitting the hell out of the ball still. Rizzo looked better. Schwarber looked better. But at the same time, you're still seeing Javi not performing. You're still seeing Contreras whiffing a ton. You're seeing Kipnis now start to regress a little bit. And you're seeing some decisions... In the lineup and in the bullpen, that kind of makes you scratch your head. And for me, like the biggest takeaway from from this series, besides just winning those two games, was how Ross continues to manage some of the slumping mm-hmm. guys. And I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. Like I, I have no idea what makes the most sense. That being said, on Wednesday, you had Contreras and Baez bat two and four respectively. On Thursday, the last game, again, you're putting up Javi in that four spot and you're putting these guys, Javi, Contreras, Schwarber, these really whiffable hitters in situations with men on base and they're not delivering, and we're wondering why. Like it it, it makes sense that you're not delivering because these guys are just inherently prone to whiffs. And to your point about being in college and watching those drills. For situational hitting, you know, the Cubs were doing that too. Even with Joe Madden last year, I was at spring training and I'm watching Joe Madden 30 feet away from the batting cage feeding miniature baseballs and calling out right. game situations for situational hitting. I'm getting to a point where like I'm accepting th- this is who this team is. This is, well, I mean, is. this is who Contreras is. This is who is.
0: It's been a few well,
1: years of this. So. Well, I mean, there's there's always there's always this concept that you heard it from Madden too. Like once, once Javi stops swinging the outside sliders, he'll become Manny Ramirez, right? And we've seen Contreras almost on a year-to-year basis completely flip his approach. And for me, I, I hate seeing that because I like some consistency. I like to be able to project what you're going to get like one through five on a day-to-day basis. I, I don't get that with seeing Contreras in the top five, batting second on Wednesday again, and then seeing Javi bat fourth still in a top four, either batting third or fourth during this slump. And I'm and I'm trying to, in my mind, figure out solutions to mitigate some of these poor situational at bats. And and for me, we'll get into on a player-by-player basis, but it is maybe like moving up Hayward in the order, or maybe starting to use Nico Horner a little bit more and starting to bench Kipness a little bit more or starting to be a little bit more liberal in your pinch hitting attempts that that to me is where you can like slowly take away some of the errors we're seeing but it is, It is complex. I can fully recognize that it's complex. It's hard to reconcile your 22 and 15 with still some of the issues that are kind of like haunting us at this point.
0: Right. And I think, you know, especially to the lineup stuff, it's a tough spot for David Ross. Uh, I think it would be a tough spot, you know, even for someone like Joe Madden who had obviously been in charge of this group for a long time but i think it's a tough spot for david ross because it's a short season and you're trying to figure out how to manage that which none of these managers have you know really done before but you're also trying to navigate one of your star players who is really, really underperforming. And that's a tough spot. And we've talked about Javi a lot in terms of not really knowing what to do because you know that David Ross and just like all of us, like we know how, like Javi's a great hitter. This is not what he, who he is, right? But we don't know why it's happening or why it's gone on for this long. And it's a tough, Thing to manage you know like i i think you know you're you're kind of grappling if you're david ross with well i mean obviously i'd like better production from that middle of the order but do i want to move hobby down because i expect him to start hitting and i don't really know why he's not so it's a it's a tough you know and then you're balancing all that with okay well there's you know 25 games left or whatever it is so mm-hmm. is there the urgency i don't know so we'll get we'll get into that but we do have some housekeeping that i want to do first before we move forward so some a few few A lot of moving parts here. Uh, The first thing that I want to say is that as we are recording this at about 7.40 on Thursday in Chicago— Ian Happ uh, fouled the ball into the ground and then off of his own face uh, in the game. On Thursday, he left the game. Uh, X-rays were negative. The report was that it was just a contusion, otherwise known as a bruise. Uh, So it looks like they avoided some sort of, you know, massive eye injury or a concussion or anything like that. Rizzo said he felt fine. Ross said it appeared they avoided the worst that's all we've gotten as we're recording this they they may do more once they get back to chicago tests or things like that obviously more time will have gone by so just keep a keep an eye on that um but it seems like they avoided some, you know, absolute mess. Uh, if you have been paying attention, Hap has been their best hitter, uh, and I, th- I believe, as we record this, is literally like a top five hitter in baseball. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be <laughs> that would be uh, a big deal, even if he has Not to miss good. a yeah. couple games. Um, so we'll see how it is for for this series with the Cardinals. I just. Given the nature of things, I wouldn't be surprised to see him take off on Friday, even if his, he's fine, just to sort of give him at least one breather, just to be sure. Uh, but it looked precautionary just to get him out of there. Obviously, you take a ball near the eye, you're going to be a little blurry and stuff like that, and no reason to send him back up there against the guy, you know, throwing mid-90s fastballs. So hopefully that is okay. Other housekeeping issue. Chris Bryant is back, as you saw in this series. That is very good news. Uh, We'll talk about him a little bit. I think in general, he looked good. Swings, uh, you know, he wasn't hitting the cover off the ball, but swings looked good. Um, You know, had a hit. I think in the game on Tuesday in his return to the lineup, he had two hits, excuse me, uh, showing off his elite base running skills, scoring from first on a double that was just, as we always say, one of the most beautiful things in baseball is just watching Chris Bryant run the bases like that. Uh, And I think the swings were good. And, you know, I think he, he looks like someone who's about to Break out a little bit. So I think that was good to see. At the very least, what I mean is he looks healthy um, from appearances. So that was good to see. And further, Jose Quintana back on the injured list with a strained lat. Uh, I am not an injury expert, so I'm not sh- positive how long that'll keep him out. But given that he was already coming back from an injury and still sort of working himself up to full strength this is going to leave a void in the rotation. You already have Tyler Chatwood out. You have Mills struggling. So not a great spot for the Cubs' rotation. Uh, That is something that they are going to have to be... Uh... Taken care of. I, this is a, a precarious spot for this rotation, Brendan. So I think that's that's I think that's it for for the housekeeping stuff, and we'll get into some of these things individually. But I think that's that's where I'd like to start. Um, is Quintana now out again, and he was going to get one of those starts in this Cardinal series to you know sort of uh, get him back into the rotation. You've got Chatwood out, and you're going to have to fill those spots, and it's a Interesting discussion. I think obviously Adbear is going to get one of those starts. I think that's a no-brainer. Um, but especially with the doubleheader this weekend and going forward, you know, I I don't know that they're looking to remove Mills from the rotation, but I, I think what we've seen from him, you know, now at least fairly consistently, is that he's not someone you can rely on for length. The numbers are okay that first time through the order, but when you start getting into that second and third time through the order, lineups are pretty clearly making adjustments on him. And as we've noted, he's been pretty susceptible to uh, those the big flies. And so it's not a great spot for this rotation. And if you listen to the discussion that Evan and I had on Sunday... We specifically noted that it was nice to have, even if you weren't uh, a, a big ceiling guy as it relates to Jose Quintana, it was still nice to get someone back into the rotation that throughout his career has been known for his consistency and his stability. Well. That is that is no longer there we didn't even get the one turn in the rotation through that so uh that's not great and reading this stat from friend of the podcast Jordan Bastian from MLB and com, the Cubs rotation had a 2.55 era in the first 16 games of the season after the Mills start on Thursday in the finale with Pittsburgh the rotation has a 5.42 era in the past 21 games going back to August. 14th, that ERA going back to August 14th is 6.45 if you remove Udarvish Darvish from that calculation. Now, obviously Udarvish Darvish is still going to be starting for this team, but that does not bode particularly well for the other members of this rotation. So Brendan, what do we do with this rotation and how panicked are we about it? Talking about
1: ED or hair loss is not easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or I just don't have the time for this. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED or hair loss all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com Cubs today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Cubs. GetRoman.com slash Cubs. As long as Darvish and Hendricks are healthy and pitching well, I think that's that's the anchor. I think you look at where we are right now, this team is gonna be in the playoffs unless something crazy happens. There's still like almost a 95% chance of making it to the playoffs. But towards that back end of the rotation, that's an issue. Like losing Q for the stability, as you said, is an issue. Losing Chatwood and now seeing Mills not perform well, you're looking towards that depth and you're questioning. Okay, if Hendricks does not perform well, then who can piggyback him in that rare instance, right? Like you want to have a plan B and a plan C. And when Q goes down and Chatwood goes down, it, th- those plans crumble a bit. I don't think it's that traumatic at this point. I think when we when we see what Alzolai has and what he showcased in his last outing, it gets me pretty pumped up. And the reason it gets me pumped up. Is because he is looking very different than last year, and a lot of the issues that we highlighted and that we've read about from really good writers, such as Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, who we've had on, they recognize some of the weirdness that we saw with Alzolai last year, especially that curveball. And there was one uh, metric that that Brian and I were talking about, and that Brian wrote about on Bleacher Nation, which was Alzolai's curveball spin rate did not match what scouts at the time considered a plus curveball. Alzelize's curveball efficiency was really low, way lower than like your average pitcher. So this year, what, what's going on? Well, now he has changed his release point, And so his horizontal release point is a little bit closer to his shoulder, but he's throwing different pitches too. Like he's throwing sinkers this year. And according to Brooks Baseball, he has never thrown a sinker in previous years, or last year rather, or even in like spring training when you have stack-assed in those ballparks. So Alzulai has added maybe a sinker and he's changed his release point and he's throwing over 95. So like check, 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 right? You You see the changes he's made, you see the potential, you see the width potential, which is like what I enjoyed most out of these pitchers, and I, I get excited for it. So there there are some like weird silver linings to this. Um, you know, one silver lining when Chris Bryant unfortunately went down was Hap got a chance at the leadoff spot and Hap took advantage of that. And now Hap is a top five player and he's a staple atop that lineup and is giving the lineup stability. Maybe because Q is out, because Chatwood is out, maybe Alzalai can step up and now the Cubs could rely on him towards the latter half of the season, maybe even in a bullpen spot in a high leverage situation if the starters do come back. So I'm not really freaking out. Like I'm still pretty pretty worried because you, you just lost maybe three pitchers, but I'm interested in Azulay, also interested in Colin Ray for different reasons, but he has pretty good control. He's more or less that veteran type who's been there despite not playing recently So overall, I'm not freaking out and maybe I'm just like tricking my brain to be optimistic about this, but I'm actually like looking forward to seeing Alice Alive pitch
0: more. Yeah. I mean, Evan and I talked about on the episode on Sunday about, you know, kind of wondering why he wasn't getting more of a look, even if it was in a bullpen role, you know, you'd come up for these double headers and was immediately optioned back down after both yeah. of those uh, outings. And, you know, it just sort of seems like you might as well try it, especially when you're digging now into the the depths of your, your pitching staff. So you might as well give someone like that a look. I, you know, I also think like with John, like, that's why the game on Tuesday was a little frustrating from a managerial perspective in just the sense that, like, you know... Again, we saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you you got the five innings out of him. And again, they, that didn't mean to take him out and not let him go in the six. He was still on a nice pitch count. But with some of these guys, you know, and, and again, this is another thing that I brought up on Sunday when, when talking about having four guys at the time, we were looking at Hendricks, Lester, Mills, and Quintana, you know, four guys that don't have the velocity. They really rely on the command, right? And you have to be aware of when the stuff is is starting to fade, when the energy is starting to fade, and when the command is starting to fade. And again, as I always say, it's different degrees. I'm not comparing Kyle Hendricks to Alec Mills or anything like that. But it's, it's just one of those things where with guys that aren't able to pump 97, 98, you know, they can't get away with as much. And so that was just something that we saw in that start with Lester. Like, it was a good start. He had limited them the Cubs were going to win an easy win it was six to one and you know you start to see the command go you start to see John kind of having to gut through some of those at bats a little bit more like just take him out it's fine you know it's not the second inning you know like this was a good start and you just tried to push it too far. And, and I, you know, look, we've complained about the bullpen for hours and hours on this podcast. So I'm aware it's not that easy to just turn things over to the bullpen. But when you've got guys that rely on command and placement of their you know lower velo stuff you have to be more aware of when the opposing lineup is starting to catch up when the command is fading when the balls are leaking into the barrel over the plate you just have to be a little more aggressive with that stuff because like you said brendan it's just it, it's annoying when you can kind of see it coming when you're sitting there at home going uh, eh, you know john looks like he's losing it a little bit the pirates look like they're kind of getting to him now and you know then by the time he leaves it's a six to four game i think by the end the inning. It was a six to five game. And you've just made things so much closer just because you're, you know, the the leash is just a little too long. Um, So that was a a little frustrating. But just to go to the point, like, you're not worried about Hendricks at all. Um, You know, this was a nice bounce back start for him. You know, he's been, he's weird on the road. I'm not sure what to make of that. But he's Kyle Hendricks. He's great. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And you Darvish right now is the front runner for the National League Cy Young. So you're not worried about that. And to the point I was making, I, I think, you know, you trust Lester to go out there and give you quality starts for the most part. You just got to be a little more, you know, fine-tuned with how long you're, you're letting him out there and uh, how long of the leash you're having. And actually, to that note, uh, I wanted to read and make note that you Darvish was the pitcher of the month in the National League uh, from Major League Baseball in the month of August in the month of August you Darvish went 5 and 0 with a 1.09 ERA 33 innings pitched and 40 strikeouts the counterpart in the American League Shane Bieber was the winner of that award and right now those two are your front runners for the Cy Young's, which is very, very exciting. We've talked about you endlessly. Um, and one thing that I just want to note, um, you know, maybe before we wrap up this this conversation just about the rotation and stuff, is you see it in his tweets and, and some of the YouTube videos. Now, all of this is in Japanese, so we're going off of the Google or Bing Translate or whatever. But the general sense that you get is he's really proud of, of, of stuff like this. And for a guy who has dealt with so many injuries, and obviously the lows, of you know losing in the world series and and uh you know to a team that was cheating and dealing with uh the fan both fan bases in that world series just ragging him right even his own at the time the dodgers which is very typical of dodger fans even
1: the even the astros players themselves <laughs> yes on the guy. right was uh, the,
0: the subject of an extremely racist gesture on national television um and He's talked about all of that and he really, you know, just sort of makes notes of how much this stuff means to him and and how important it is to have that validation of all the work that he put in, all the studying that he did, and all the, you know, manicuring of his mechanics and his repertoire and stuff like that that even though this is, you know, just the MLB Pitcher of the Month award, right, like it it means something to him, and it it means something to him to be recognized and uh, to be performing at a level better than anybody else. So it's it's cool to see that. And, you know, we continue to highlight sort of those moments where it's just awesome to see uh, some of these great guys on the team really thriving. So that was uh, pretty cool, but yeah, I, I think I'm I'm intrigued to see what Abbear can do, and this is a good opportunity for him. You know, this is a guy who's obviously been trying to crack the the major leagues and stick. with the the major league team. And, you know, this is one of those spots where they need guys to step up. You know, this whole season, really, just given the nature of it, has been about needing guys to step up and and pick up some roles, uh, especially on this pitching staff. And so this is a chance for Alzai to step it up and, and really earn that spot with the team. They need him. This is a, a good spot for him, and I, you know, I hope he's, uh, I hope he's able to do that, you know, because he's another one who it's been fun to follow along with, you know, at least from what we've seen. He's, you know, very easy to root for, you know, with, uh, you know, you remember in the, his first outing with the hat tipping and the team sort of razzing him for that and <laughs> stuff like that, so. I, I I hope that that uh, I hope that that is indeed what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, sort of the key beyond uh, th- those top line guys is you, you just have to be careful. You know, you may have to piggyback guys and and use uh, guys that we've mentioned a lot, guys like Colin Ray and, and things like that to to give you a little more length. Someone like Dwayne Underwood, who's had some nice outings recently and and is stretched out a, a little bit, you may have to rely on those guys. But I, I think that that Ross and Need to be a little more careful with uh, some of these guys in terms of how much you're asking them to do. I know that's not the scenario you want to be in, um, but, you know, especially for someone like Mills, like the numbers through the order. They, they don't lie. You know, second and third time through the order, he's getting killed. Like, that's just what's happening. Um, and his numbers since those first couple starts are, you know, frankly, just plain bad. So, uh, you know, and actually I'm looking at a, a tweet from Sadev Sharma of The Athletic, uh, a 7.66 ERA in his last five starts, given up seven homers and allowed a 1.008 OPS against. So that's not good. You know what I mean? So uh, it it's it's a tough spot for this team. The depth is really being tested, which is is never good. Uh, but I, I think that you know the coaching staff is going to have to be a little more careful with these guys, regardless. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. After we record this episode, I'm going to kick back, watch some Sunday Night Baseball, and order from one of my favorite local spots on DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays
1: are coming back in the NFL with NFL TV. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV fantasy zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL TV is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, Mills, the first few starts, it looked intriguing, right? You saw all the weak contact, and it kind of piqued my interest. The weak contact is still there. He still has more weak contact induced than 90% of starters. It's that he's not getting the strikeouts to go like with that. Just even a few strikeouts here and there may may make the difference. But in that start against the Pirates, you saw it. I forgot who was batting for the Pirates, but he served up a home run and that was to no fault of Mills. Like if you go back and look at that home run, he made his pitch. He hit his spot and he got hit. That's that's the danger of someone like Mills where you can hit your spots, you can execute to the best of your ability, but these hitters are really good, and if they see you multiple times, they're probably going to hit you. That's just how it works. That's how good these guys are. So I, I I don't know what to think of Mills. At this point, I kind of just don't want to see him start right now. And I, I like the guy. I just think in shorter, fewer exposures, he's, he's better. You get him through a one or two inning scenario where he can showcase some of the off speed a little bit more than the fastball maybe you get more whiffs as he did in years past like last year even with his career as a cub before 2020 his whiff rate was better than 75 percent of pitchers in the league now, now this year it's like in the bottom five percent so that that has to be because he's in a starting role he has to get through multiple innings and his stuff by default is just not going to be as surprising to hitters and for that reason I want to see him back in that bullpen. So if it were up to me, I would just throw Alzelay. I would throw Ray and let it work. Let those be your five guys with Ray, Alzelay, Lester, Hendricks, and Darvish and see what you got.
0: Yeah, I think that that, that works for me. I think we're on the same page there. And, you know, again, this is a, a tough spot. You know, just want to make sure to reiterate that it's a tough spot for David for Ross sure. and Hattavi yeah. and, you know, really the front office. You know, I mean, obviously this season is unorthodox. You, you don't have the minor leagues going on. And with only 60 games, you know, when you have injuries like this, I mean, you have two of the guys right now that were slated to be in your opening day rotation on the injured list. It's a tough spot. I mean, that that is not an easy spot to just immediately have solutions for or just sort of expect to be able to throw a Band-Aid on. So, uh, you know, I, I think fair to give them a little bit of leeway to try to figure this out and, you know, see what they're able to do. But, Anyway, moving on, I think, to the offense. First thing I want to do is read this quote from Chris Bryant. Um, you know, we, we, we had that little scuffle with the Reds, I suppose you could call it, uh, you know, and, and one of their pitchers talking about the Cubs uh, chirping a lot and making a lot of noise, um, which I got to tell you, Brendan, was so weird to me because, you know, the easiest way to validate a team making a bunch of noise is and stuff like that is to tell them that it bothers you, right? Like, <laughs> right. oh, that'll get them Like, to why do you sure. think they're
1: doing it? Right. And
0: <laughs> also we've heard from the Cubs since it started, since anybody pointed out how loud their dugout was, they've said since the beginning that we need to do it to get ourselves up. They've all said that. It's like a company line at this point, right? So they're not setting out to bother anybody. It's what they do to pick each other up and keep the energy in the dugout and help guys stay in their approach and things like that and especially if you watch the 2019 Cubs you know it's not something they're doing to bother the other team it's like they looked lazy and out of it in 2019 at times like they need to be doing this so it's funny it's just funny to hear players on the other teams like getting bothered by it it's like okay well that's not the point but if it's bothering you they should be even louder about it um and to that point uh Chris Bryant of all people Uh, came with this quote. I'm reading it from Patrick Mooney of The Athletic, and he said, quote, we might be the most obnoxious, but we're all embracing it and enjoying that. Other teams can go about it the same way. I just think we're doing a really good job of creating our energy in the dugout. That's what we got to do. Brendan, I want it to be very, very clear on this podcast that I am for nothing in the world more than I am for the Cubs being the most obnoxious team in the league. Print that label on a t-shirt, tattoo it on my forehead, put it on my tombstone when I die, that the Cubs, people think the Cubs are obnoxious and their vibes from the dugout are obnoxious. I love it so, so much. And you're only going to get more of it. Like you said, when you have the other
1: team saying, hey, we're being bothered by your chirping, that that, that is the reason why you're chirping. You're trying to make a scene. You're trying to induce energy and when the other team takes notice of that that validates why you're doing it now you don't want to have that be like the reason that Rizzo is thrown at his head or whatever but to some degree it does help like to have that energy that that camaraderie everyone up at one time like that that's what you want to see a team do if you're not chirping if you're not like all together going at it then why even play this sport you want to be in that competitive environment where each and every one of your teammates has that same mindset that same like killer f you type mindset so i love it i want to see more of it let's have everyone wear chains let's have everyone scream in between at bath let's get more of it
0: yeah absolutely i'm i'm all for it and i and i love that they're embracing that like brian said i mean especially somebody like brian right like you know someone that's that's pretty modest and and low-key um I think him him embracing that i I, I love it and and it 's clearly worked for them to to keep the, each other honest and to to create a good vibe in the dugout, which is important. chemistry is important, energy is important, especially there 's no fans again they they 've talked about this a lot, like how important it is for them to sort of create their own energy um, and you know as Chris says like there 's nothing stopping the other dugouts from making as much noise as they want as well. Uh, I guess they're just not having as much fun. So that's really what it is. But let's get to the offense, uh, and I want to start with some of the good things because there there's some stuff that, that has not gone well. Obviously, we we end up talking about it's it's confusing for uh, us as as podcast hosts. Although, really, like, are we really podcast hosts? We're two idiots that host a podcast. I wouldn't call us like yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's hosts. the other way
1: around. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's let's boring.
0: be careful with the with, with how much power we're giving to <laughs> two lunatics and I. with the microphone is better, yeah. yeah, so like it it is hard though to like figure out every three or four days like how to talk about this offense because sometimes I can hear myself saying stuff that I know, especially like those of you out there that have been listening to us for a year or two years or since the beginning, which would be like four years, which uh you know bless you guys right, for sticking <laughs> with us, but like, I can hear myself saying that like, I know I've said this sentence before, right? Like, I know I've said the stuff about runners and scoring position and situational hitting and strikeouts and things like that, like a million times. So sometimes it's interesting to try and figure out, okay, like, we want to talk about this because it happened in this series, but it's also not something that we haven't discussed before. So before we do that, I guess is what I'm saying, I want to talk about some of the good things. And Again, it it seems like Hap is okay, uh, and, you know, that should not be a big deal. Uh, Another big series for him, obviously, the game on Tuesday going three for six with two RBIs, uh, making some really nice diving catches in this series, Uh, and that was something that was giving him trouble in the early going, some of those sinking line drives, which, like, uh, not like overnight, but like really quickly. He's, uh, you know, made an adjustment on or something because he made some really nice plays on balls just like that in this series. Uh, goes two for five in the game on Wednesday and then was one for two in this game before exiting on Thursday. A 311 batting average, uh, 1.068 OPS. Like this guy's, I mean, just killing it. Hit his 10th home run in this series. It's It's amazing to watch what this guy is doing. And again, you know, what's even more important is that that move to the leadoff spot has not changed his game at all. He's still getting on base. He's still using the whole field. He's still walking. He's still driving the ball out of the ballpark, doing it from the left, doing it from the right. And that's huge for this team. Obviously, he, ha- he hasn't been in the leadoff spot for that large of a sample, but we've just seen it crater the success and and the hot streaks of some of the other hitters on this team being put in that leadoff spot. So for him to be able to go there and kind of just look exactly the same as he has all year is great. That's a a brilliant development that we're seeing there. Um, Another thing, Schwarber, with a a really good series, obviously hits a a mammoth home run in this series. He loves hitting in Pittsburgh, uh, which is is always fun. Uh, Goes one for five with two RBIs uh, in the game on Tuesday with the big home run. And then goes two for three in the game on Thursday, so uh, a good series for him. His OPS up to eight fifty seven. You know, so and and I, I think you wanted to talk a little bit, Brendan, just about how he's looked uh, in, in these last you know few series or a few games, especially. But good to see those numbers creeping back up for him as we were going over the last couple of weeks, kind of looking at you know Baez kind of being on that downward trend, Contreras being on that mm-hmm. downward trend, uh, and Schwarber was above them but was was sort of like heading you know downward at least from where he started the season but he, he seems to have, have have stabilized and and you know had a really nice series there in Pittsburgh
1: well Schwarber still making contact which is great but recently in the last week he's being more aggressive now and we saw some of that with the home runs like especially on that one inside pitch he pulled uh he's he's just smacking the ball and he's he's way more aggressive with his zone selection, at least in the last week or so, because team wide, and we talked about this on the previous episode before Evan came on, but team wide, the Cubs are just not swinging at as many pitches so much that right now they still are the second to the least swinging team in the strike zone. So that that's, that's a weird development that seems to me like an intentional team wide approach. Schwarber being a little bit more aggressive now, and now we're seeing the numbers kind of creep back up and the strikeouts go back down to where they were in his career range. Javi, though, and we'll talk about Javi. H- H- Javi's concerning me, dude, like more, way more than uh, he was a few weeks ago. The reason for this concern is that he is not producing now because he's flailing at bad pitches. So he wasn't producing in the first few weeks, not because of that. He wasn't producing because he was missing his pitches. His outside-the-zone swing rate was actually better in the first four weeks than years past, and he looked visually to me like he was seeing the ball well, and he was just missing his pitches. That's what it appeared like to me. Now, in the last 10 days, his outside-the-zone swing rate is almost 50%. This is like classic... Javi Bias swinging that crap outside the zone. That, that that just can't happen. So now he's struggling for a different reason. Now you have two different struggles for two different reasons. This is the one I'm concerned about because this suggests he's in his head. These pitchers, they got his number. Like he's going to have to change something to flip the scouting report like to a different to a different level because right now it's slider, 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 away, 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 high fastball, and that's it. Watch every one of his at bat It's slow slider away. High fastball up. And to my eye, sometimes it looks like he's just like guessing out there. And even JD said that on the broadcast. Like you can tell, Javi's just almost guessing at times. There are some instances where he let like fastball score right down the middle, and that's not what Javi does. Or he'll let a slider, a hanging slider, just go right in the zone. And that's not who he is at times. But now that's being compounded by just swinging at everything. And that's where I'm concerned. I don't know what the solution is, but I think at this point, we had the conversation about him batting third. What was that? Two and a half weeks ago, two weeks ago. We are beyond that point. There is no reason, Corey, that Javi should be batting third or fourth. Like the reinforcement of his plate approach that I thought was the logic? Mm-hmm. That's out the window. It's out the window because he's not being disciplined now. So what? What is the purpose of keeping him in the third or fourth spot if he's not showing signs of improvement? And conversely, he's showing signs of regression. You got. You got to get him out of that particular like lineup, that particular like environment, so to speak, with the third or fourth guy seeing so many guys on base. Uh, to me, that's that's like solution number one. Get him down to the sixth or seventh spot. Let him work on some things. Push up Hayward, give Nico some more at-bats, push up your guys who are hitting well, and see what happens. I just, I can't buy right now that him being in a third or fourth spot is going to be conducive to him to get out of this slump. I just cannot buy that.
0: Yeah, and you know the weirdest part about Javi and where he is right now is that I look around to a lot of the, the people that... I read or that I trust their baseball opinion and stuff like that. Um, You know, Evan, Bleacher Nation, some folks from The Athletic, you know, a lot of people that uh, are on social media and nobody seems to know or have like a good answer to, like, oh, here's what's going on. It's, you know, they just got to fix this or that, you know, and. It's it's weird, man. And again, I think it's important to note that the length of this season really puts these issues under the spotlight, right? Mm-hmm. And you're sort of forced to address these things or at least talk about them or care about them in a more aggressive manner than you otherwise would. In a regular season, you know, were what? this is 30-something games. I mean, that's nothing, right? Like, you're still talking about <laughs> literally playing another 130-something games if this is a regular season. It, it would still be concerning, uh, you know, or at least, like, you know, kind of puzzling the production that he's had so far. Uh, but you're not, like, starting to freak out about it. But, you know, whether it's fair or not, we're over halfway through this season, you know, and the production just isn't there and it's, it's really strange, and it sucks. It sucks to watch, uh, you know, because, again, we talk about how much we want someone like Darvish to succeed uh, and someone like Hayward to succeed. It, it's Javi. We've talked about Javi's story and who he is and what makes him Javier Baez, what makes him El Mago, his background, where he came from. We talk about that all the time, and it sucks to watch him struggle and you know that he is someone who carries these struggles with him and it 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 must eat at him it must be terrible for him to know that he's not performing um but unfortunately like that's just where we're at uh right now after the game on thursday he's got a 58 wrc plus that is terrible you guys. Just terrible. I mean, just for reference, in 2019, it was 114 with a 347 weighted on base average. In 2018, when he was the runner-up for the MVP, it was 131 with a 166 weighted on base average. In 2020 so far, it's a 58 WRC plus and a 258 weighted on base average. He's also got a 194 batting average and a 235 on base percentage. So he's only getting on base 23.5 half percent of the time. I know this is not the player that he is because even prior to the, you know, sort of explosive uh, near MVP season that he had. 2015, 2016, 2017, varying roles, varying you know amounts of plate appearances, but just looking at WRC plus again, 100 being league average, 97, 94, 98. With his defense, like you know, he can be a better hitter than that. But with the home runs he hits, the defense he provides, the base running he provides, still a very valuable player. This though is <laughs> really weird, and it's just not good, and it's it's just hard to it's hard to figure. Uh, you know, and that's why I bring up those pre-2018 numbers, because it's just like, you know, even if even in seasons where he hasn't been in an explosive offensive force, this is not the player he is. We just know that. There's, there's a huge sample that suggests that he is not a, a hitter like this, and I am just not sure what to say about it. And again— it's it's not to extrapolate on this or uh you know sort of use this sample of you know i think it's about like 130 plate appearances so far to have some grand meaning or anything like that it's it's something that we discuss because we sort of have to right like there's 20 something games left the season is almost over it's september we're heading towards the playoffs like the cubs are very likely going to be a part of that and at some point you're going to have to address the fact that Again, after this series on Thursday, your four hitter in the lineup today is literally the fifth worst hitter in baseball. As we're recording this right now, is he that bad in reality? and real life? no, I don't believe that. Of course, I don't believe in that. Believe that. Like I believe in Javier Baez more than almost anybody. Right? Like we, so many times, it's just like when he does those slides, when he steals those bases, when he does all the things that he does on a baseball field, you just believe in him because he's El Mago. Right? So, of course, I I believe in him, but I, I just don't really know what to say about this, man. You know, like, but what it really comes down to is like, you just can't have those numbers in that spot. And, you know, it doesn't only apply to him. You know, Wilson Contreras hit sixth, I believe, in the lineup on Thursday. But, you know, in the the other day, putting him in the two-hole, no. Like, just with what we've seen, I don't know where that came from. Um, And, you know, like, Bryant's had the injury, and that has obviously affected him. He's got to pick it up, too. You know what I mean? So it's not just to look at at Baez. You know, coming out of the game on Thursday, Bryant's got a 561 OPS. Now, granted, you know, we know sort of tangibly that a lot of this is related to the injuries. With Javi, we're not really sure right? could be hiding something, could be mental. I have no idea. But, you know, it's all to say, like, this is a tough spot for David Ross. And a lot of this stuff, I don't have the answers. But some of these guys got to pick it up or you have to think about moving the lineup around, you just don't have a choice. You just can't have that type of production so much in, in the top of the order, uh, especially when, you know, and you don't want to mess with what Hayward's doing. Uh, and again, we've seen moving guys around and it has affected their performance. But, you know, you've got a guy in the seven hole in the lineup on Thursday, hitting 300 with a 981 OPS, who looks really good at the plate. Right, Even just from the eye test, Hayward looks really good. He's, he's spitting on a lot of pitches. The at-bats look really good. He's been going the other way. He's been hitting with power. He just looks really good. Right, Your two-hitter leaves the game with a 561 OPS. Your four-hitter has a 609 OPS, and your six-hitter has a 692 OPS. It's just not great. Brendan, and I, it's it's a complicated thing, and 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 again, it's like the speed of this season is like really sort of forcing you to, I think, maybe like attack these things more aggressively than you would if you had a slate of a hundred games in front of you and a big long summer and stuff like that. Like, I don't even know if you would care. I don't know if you'd bat an eye about them playing like this for a month, but. It's, it's sort of a, a new experience for us to try to say like, okay, like, yeah, I get that. And I'm not like saying these guys are bad or uh, I'm not going to judge their career based on how they performed in 30 games of a, you know, COVID-19 season. But the season's almost over. You, you got to figure some of this stuff out, don't you? Yeah. And then
1: lumped into that bunch is Jason Kipnis. Like Jason Kipnis has in his last 65 plate appearances, not including Thursday's game, 46 WRC+. And he's showcasing some of the trends you don't want these guys showcasing. Like, he's whipping more than usual. He's also being more patient like every single else on on the team. But in, in my mind, like, I'm thinking, how do we get more contact in this lineup? How do we get more action in the field with men on base? And my thinking today, and it's going to change as it always does. But my thinking is, let's play Nico more, way more, not just once every other day. Let's play him like every day. And I get like, I like Bodie as well. Bodie to me has a very similar approach to everyone else on a team. Someone who may take his pitches, he's going to slug, but he's going to whiff a lot. And I'm thinking you have Nico, you have Hayward batting seventh, eighth, or ninth, Move him up. Let's get Victor Caratini some more bets. Maybe Wilson needs some time, dude. I mean, he has a 63% contact rate. That's among the worst in the league. It's almost seven percentage points down from his career norm. This is not the same Wilson we saw last year. So, how do you get more action? How do you get more situational awareness? Put guys in situations that can make contact. And Nico specifically narrowing down on Nico. His numbers may not look the best and I get that. He's a young kid, but he's making a ton of contact. He's in the top 5% of baseball contact and he's making hard contact too. He has more hard hit contact than 75% of the league. So you have one guy who's making a ton of contact and he's also making a ton of Hard contact and he's a pretty good defender and he's faster than 90% of the league as well you have all these like check boxes that are being marked off here what do you want like what more like what more do you want and maybe like the logic here with Nico is to selectively play him that's what's been done over the last three years with Almora with Hap, with Schwarber going way back then with Soler and Javi like at, at some point I'm, I'm getting a little bit exhausted over this approach Nico has it, dude. Like he has it. He has these skills. He's 23. He's fast. He makes a ton of contact. A ton of hard contact. Plays multiple positions. Like let's let's play him. Let's let's play him. Let's get some of these at bats in situations that need contact. And for the life of me, sometimes I I don't understand why why some guys are not being used more aggressively. And I I, I don't get it. I think so far early on with manager David, he's made a ton of good decisions. Sticking with Hap, putting Hap at the lead off spot, sticking with Hayward early on when his peripherals look good, but he was patient with them. Maybe even Campbell too. We don't know what's going down behind closed doors. Campbell looked better against uh, the Pirates on Thursday. throwing 98. The majority of his recent outings look a little bit better, even though he's not there. So Ross has done a good job generally, but like batting Javi fourth and third, batting Willie second or cleanup or fifth, th- these are instances where we're kind of beyond like trying to be patient. And we need to see what we can get out of other guys on this team. And I like personally, like I I need to see Nico more. Like we we need to see what this guy can do. Because in a playoff spot, if you need someone to like just put the ball the right side or just lift the ball to right field, the center field, there's no one else that I'm more comfortable with at this point than Nico Horner doing that.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, just some weird stuff from from Ross in this series. Uh, you know, Kipnis took in a bat on Thursday against the lefty in a, a spot that we talked about with a runner on third and less than two outs. And I know that if you go to Nico or, you know, Bodie or something like that, you force them to... You know, maybe uh, Shelton goes to a righty or something like that. So you know, you're playing the hand in it. But you know, Kipnis isn't here to hit lefties. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just weird stuff like that. And you know, I think there was a series a couple times ago where Almora took an at bat against the righty, right? Like there's just been weird times where it's 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 almost like you're just like just play the percentages. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure why we're just like letting some of these guys ride this out. Like, just be a little more aggressive, like using that bench. Especially now, you brought in Jose Martinez, you brought in Cameron Maben, you've shaken things up a little bit. You know be a little more aggressive in, in just playing those percentages, going to the, the right guys in those spots, um, you know, rather than just sometimes like sticking with that lineup, you know, that, that you put out there. Um but yeah, it's 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 a weird spot, man, because, you know, you 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 understand the willingness and, and you know, the desire or the the just sort of like inherent nature to Trust your guys right and and to just trust javi right like of course he's he's carried this offense for two years, but I, I it's it's just a tough thing to reconcile that with how little time is left in the season and you know no matter how much you believe in guys and stuff like that like sometimes like you know we've seen how long it can take some guys to make adjustments right and the process that that goes into guys making adjustments I mean Hayward's a good example you're seeing these results now I mean this has literally taken years. You know, for him to really find comfort with that swing and in this lineup and 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 stuff like that, you know, and so it's it's not always that easy to just snap out of this stuff. So I, I don't I don't claim to have the right answer, and I, you know you're certainly like. I certainly would understand if Ross's attitude was like, look, I'm going to go down with Javi. I, I get it, you know. I, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but it's it's just a tough spot when you're looking at how much time is is left in the season, and, you know, you just have a situation where, so far, Bryant, Baez, Contreras, like, just have not been delivering at the level that you really need them to. It's a confusing spot. I It's not something that we expected. I, I, I bring this up a lot, but we talked this whole off season and then when they got into the summer camp about just how you, this is a team that relies on that top level talent right and it just hasn't been there and you know something to like your point about Kipness right and you know how he's kind of struggled from where he started this season we talked throughout the early going of this season that we had h- hoped to ride that top level talent and just see how far it could take you and instead it was a lot of the depth a lot of the bottom of the order that was coming through in the the, the early weeks and kind of carrying this offense and providing some of those big hits and big runs and we said, you know, you probably can't count on that forever. You know, I think at one point, you know, Kipnis had, what, like an 1,100 OPS through a couple weeks? Like, you can't count on that, right? You know, and now he's down to under 800 on the OPS counter. So it eventually you need those guys to step up. It's all to say I'm very confused. Uh, and... I, I didn't anticipate this sort of playing out like that, but it's just sort of one of the interesting nuances, I guess, of a 60-game season, that it's it's sort of forcing you to put these decisions in a vice and, and you know, like a pressure cooker. Like, you, you got to come up with a quick, either we're sticking with it, we're going to be aggressive, I don't know. And I'm not, you know, this is the first time this has happened, so I'm not sure what the right answer is, but... Uh, those are kind of the, the key areas of concern and, and I and I think perhaps it 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 fills you with optimism to a degree, right? Like this team is is in first place. They're they're you know, I think clearly better than everybody else in the division that they happen to play in. Uh you're getting a monster season out of Ian Hap, a, a monster season out of Jason Hayward. Um and You'd have to think that Bryant, Baez, and Contreras, you know, sort of snap out of it and, and start to creep back toward their, their normal productive selves. And that would bode really well for this lineup. But at the same time, I wouldn't have expected either of the three of those guys to struggle for this long in the first place. So uh, it's all to say that Brendan and I know absolutely nothing and we can provide you with really no insight. So um, that's what we're here to do on the Cubs related <laughs> podcast.
1: All right, so let's uh, preview this five-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. So the only for-sure matchup announced for the Cardinals and Cubs at this point is Yu Darvish and Jack Flaherty on Friday night. So that game starts at 7.15 p.m. Central Time. Flaherty on the year is 2-0, a 1.93 ERA. Yu Darvish, the best pitcher in the National League, 6-1, 1.47 ERA. Saturday, they have that doubleheader. St. Louis did announce that Adam Wainwright will throw one of the games. So Wainwright is 3-0, with a 2.65 ERA. The Cubs have not announced either starter for those games on Saturday. On Sunday, the Cardinals have not announced a starter, but the Cubs have announced John Lester as their starter. That game's on Sunday Night Baseball. Lester on the year is 2-1 with a 5.11 ERA, and that game will start at 6.08 p.m. Central. Then on Monday, so a weird way to finish off the series, but Monday, the final and fifth game, you have a start time at 3.10 p.m. Hendricks will be on the mound for the Cubs, who is 4-4 four four with a 3.78 ERA. Cardinals have not announced their starter yet. So that's where we are right now. The Cubs are still in first place, three and a half games up on St. Louis. St. Louis is at 500. They are 14 and 14. The Cubs are 22 and 15. Milwaukee is 17 and 19. Cincinnati falling off the cliff a little bit. They're 16 and 21. Pirates are done for the year. They are 11 and 24. So another five game set against the Cardinals. My focus is strictly on Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras and the second base spot. Will we finally see Javi go down in the lineup? I don't know. Will Nico get more playing time? Maybe. You have that doubleheader on Saturday, so maybe Ross will use Kipnis in one game or Bodie in one game and then go to Nico the next game. I don't know. But I'm focusing on second base. Who will get the majority of the playing time in this five-game series? Maybe that will set the
0: table for the next few weeks, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the focus is on the rotation here. And again, you know, the the Cubs ended up taking... That series, the last time we did this at Wrigley Field, and you know that's that's really the focus. This is a tough spot uh, for the Cubs. It's complete, and and I will not go on a rant about this for long. I <laughs> promise, but it's a complete joke that the Cardinals get Thursday off while the Cubs are playing in Pittsburgh, and then have to fly back to Chicago for a five game series. That's the Cardinals' fault right? A complete joke. The MLB's an embarrassment, as usual, uh, that somehow the Cubs are basically punished for the Cardinals, again, just so I'm never corrected, by their own manager's admission, being lax with the protocols as it relates to the virus, okay? Uh, it's That's total BS that this is even happening in the first place, and that the Cardinals, yes, they desperately need an off-day. I mean, give me a f and break, Brendan. Um, <laughs> caught myself there. Uh, but <laughs> anyway moving aside from that, just trying to get through this. It's a tough spot. You know, you've got a doubleheader, you've got a series wrapping into a Monday, which I don't even remember if I can recall a time that that's happened. That's pretty weird. Um, You know, just trying to get through this, pick up a few wins. Um, You know, obviously, I always look forward to Darvish pitching at this point. It's uh, thrilling to watch. And, you know, just hoping that they can navigate through this because I think especially with how much time is left and you know when you look at the schedule of how some of these teams in the division um you know particularly I think the Reds the Cardinals and Brewers go up against each other a good bit in this final month so even if one of the teams surges it inherently means that some of the others cannot be doing that uh you know so it's important to you know not that I want to take two of five or three of five I'd love for them to win all five but with where we are in this season with the way the playoff system is shaking out, you know, just sort of like surviving, right, is the key here. You're, you're being tested with your rotation depth and your pitching staff and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, just sort of like surviving, picking up a few wins and, and moving on to the next series is is really where my focus is. This is a tough draw, for the Cubs. And, you know, it's it's just about getting through it and, and coming out on the other side. So uh, that's really where I am with things. Uh, and that, I think, is about all that we have for you. Uh, again, you know, there there's some stuff to uh, look at with this team, perhaps be concerned about things like that. But all told, uh, the Cubs have 22 wins. Uh, they have the second best record in the National League. Uh, They have more wins than a very vast majority. I think there's a a few teams in the AL that have more wins than them. But in general, the Cubs have played better baseball than anybody else, uh, you know, save for a few teams. So uh, you've got to feel pretty good about that. They win the series with Pittsburgh uh, and hopefully can take care of business at Wrigley with the St. Louis Cardinals. So that, I think, is what we have for you. As always, thank you guys for tuning in to the Cubs-related podcast, and we will record once again on Monday night. Uh, Remember that, the series wraps into Monday. So we will record after all of the games with the Cardinals are finished, which will be on Monday night, and then we will look ahead to who is next. So as always, thank you for joining us. We will talk to you soon, and we end by saying, Go Cubs! Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA
1: and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of those returns of sports, and remember the casino never closes. Check it out all today, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.